Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Love talking politics with this gentleman uh, who is, I don't know where he is. He it looks like he's at his uh, palatial estate uh, somewhere in either Chicago or the Western suburbs. Uh, talk show host, David Seaton. Welcome back to the show, David. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, before we go any further, tell folks everything they need to know about following your talk show. Uh, I had your partner in crime on last week. Now it's your turn. Go ahead. Every Friday night, join us at 9 p.m. From 9 p.m. to midnight on WVON 1690 AM, the talk of Chicago. And you can hear the Buchanan and Seaton show with Atiba Buchanan and David Seaton. And do not let a day go by without going to www.seatonspeaks.com where you can get political analyses on all of the stories that are going on right now. Uh, and David Seaton is uh, as not only the co-host with the TV Buchanan, they're dear friends. They go back uh, many, many years, and it's an interesting friendship. As, as people who listen to uh, their show know, as people who've listened to uh, David uh, and or Atiba when they're on my show, uh, Atiba is more of the Bernie persuasion. Uh, he's a bit on the leftist side of the Democratic uh, spectrum, and David is more of the Joe Biden persuasion, more in the center. And one of my uh, great uh, joys was watching David debate Micah Utrecht, uh, the Bernie bro. That was about six months ago. It was a whole different world, David Seaton, yeah, uh, when you and it was just a different world. All right, we got to talk about Kamala Harris. Uh, we got to um, talk about Donald Trump's uh, racism. Uh, we have to talk about Black Lives Matter. And I think it's about time that David Seaton and I had a conversation about one, William Jefferson Clinton, uh, a mini obsession of mine these days as I beg my Dems, my beloved Dems, for whom I voted for many, many years, to cut the cord with Billy C. And I'm really curious what David Seaton has to say on that subject. He's been awfully just kind of mysterious. He won't let me know, so he's going to drop that one on me. All right, we'll start at the top. Kamala Harris. I've been drinking the Kamala Kool-Aid for a long time. David Seaton, as you know, I'm a fan of Kamala Harris. What's your thoughts about her? Well, I've been one of the individuals who said as, as far back as a year ago that Joe Biden was going to be the Democratic nominee. And I've said as, at least for that long that Kamala Harris would be the perfect VP. As we, you know, we've had a lot of people, you know, talking about, well, could it be Susan Rice? Susan Rice wasn't going to be a good pick because they were going to bring up Benghazi. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren wasn't a good pick because she was too far left and she was, you know, she's 70 plus years old. So if you've got any issues about Joe Biden making it for four or eight years in the White House, you certainly can't uh, pick uh, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, who else? Val Demings was a bad choice or wasn't as good a choice. Uh, she was an ex-police officer out of Florida. They were going to dig through her past and they were going to find something. Stacey Abrams didn't have enough gravitas and not a, a robust enough resume. At the end of the day, Kamala Harris checks off a couple of boxes. She's, at, she's a woman of color, so she's going to 
being she's going to enthuse the people on the on the left. She's going to enthuse minorities and suburban women to come out. She's an age an ex AG of California, and a lot of people have have said that she was heavy handed during her term as AG. But then that's going to take away the entire talking point from the Trumpists by saying that she's soft on crime or anything like that. Uh, so, you know, she, she checks a couple of different boxes. She's, you know, as a, as the AG, she managed over 7,000 attorneys in, uh, in California. Uh, you, you have probably a couple of hundred people in your staff as vice president. So she has the managerial experience. She brings a lot of progressive ideas from her short lived presidential run to the ticket. She's a woman of color. She's a woman. And this is the perfect time, I think, for a candidacy of someone who fits that her particular demographics. Do you see any downside? I do not see any downside, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, there's always, you know, the Trumpists are going to try to, like I said, the Trump side is going to try and attack her for being, uh, you know, I mean, all the, all of the attacks that they can levy against her, her record speaks to the opposite. Uh, so, again, I, I don't see any downside. You know, unfortunately, and you and I were talking about this earlier, there's already this whisper campaign out there saying that she's really not black. Uh, you know, <laughs> saying it. And, and unfortunately, and, and, and in my timeline over the past 24 hours, the most the biggest group of people I've seen, I've read attacking whether or not she's black are other black people. So, you know, I'm, I've got to actually write something about that in terms of, you know, the ethnogenesis of of black people in Jamaica are from Africa. Her father is Jamaican. Her mother is Indian. She's a person of color. And quite frankly, she's biracial, just like Barack Obama was. But everybody black said that, you know, everybody said that Barack Obama was black. So if he was black and had an African father uh, from Kenya, I don't know how she's not black with an African father from Jamaica. Yeah. By the way, uh, that's another thing that Trump uh, folks are behind as well. The she's not black uh, element. Well, we go. Look, you and I have talked about this, David Seaton. Republicans play to win. And exactly. when you play to win, you play dirty. And they play dirty. Uh, that's how Donnie Trump got to be president in 2016. They're going to double down to keep him in office. So every trick at their disposal, they will use. You know that. I know that. So let's let's deal with this issue about whether she is, quote, unquote, uh, quote, black. Uh, I do not see that. I do not see black voters not voting for her, (laughs) voting for Donald Trump on the grounds that she is not, quote, unquote, black. Do you agree with me that this is more like a Twitter issue? Yeah, I I would agree with you that a lot of the conversation that's being uh, had online is not necessarily uh, what's being had in people's households. I don't think that anyone who's seriously dealing with coronavirus, who's lost their job, who's about to be evicted, who's worried about not getting enough money to live on uh, in because the the Congress has not uh, stepped up on dealing with, uh, you know, unemployment uh, payments, Anybody who's dealing with those issues is not sitting around uh, debating about how what percentage of African DNA Kamala Harris has. Uh, they've got bigger fish to fry. And at the end of the day, the, the situation is so dire for most Americans. I think they're going to concentrate on the issues this time. I don't think Trump is going to be able to beguile uh, a lot of people with superficial issues like he did with Hillary Clinton in her emails.
All right. Well, we all know what uh, Trump's all about when it comes to black vote. Suppress the black vote. Uh, do that by making it more difficult for people to register. Doing that by making it more people uh, more difficult for people to get to the polls. Uh, undermine people's confidence and faith in voting by mail while you prop it up in your own districts. So there's a lot of contradictory things. And the other. Uh, attempt by Donald Trump is to under uh, feed cynicism. So one way is she's not even black. That's like they put that out. She's not black. She's not really a black person. So why are you excited about her? And the other thing, uh, David Seaton, is to talk about how somehow or other her record as uh, a district attorney, a prosecuting attorney in California, uh, makes her less open minded uh, to criminal justice reform than Donald Trump. Uh, that's something else you're going to hear a lot coming, particularly uh, try to, again, uh, suppress voting uh, on the left by making people more disillusioned. How effective do you think that tactic will be? Unfortunately, that's a conversation that needs to be had with a with a different level of candor within the black community. Even the attacks against Bill uh, against uh, uh, Joe Biden by saying that he was the author of the crime bill in the 90s is a complete red herring. Number one, Joe Biden is one of 100 senators. So whether he wrote it, co-authored it, sponsored it, voted for it out of committee, whatever he did, uh, he had to have another 51 people minimum within the Senate, uh, I'm sorry, another 50 people vote with him for that bill to have been passed. So to try and hang that around Joe Biden is a red herring. But more importantly, in the African-American community, we have to come to grips with the fact that a lot of what was written and passed in that crime bill was based on a lot of, a lot of things that were being asked of by the black community. The crime bill was an outgrowth of a lot of the violence that was happening in the African-American community in the, late, in the late 80s. There was an outgrowth of the crack epidemic. And black people were saying, hey, the police are not, we're, we're prisoners in our own communities. We're prisoners in our own blocks. And a lot of black people were demanding that government do something about the crime. So, you know, we have a, we are, we're guilty in the black community of a little bit of revisionist history ourselves if we're going to make Joe Biden the sole cul- cul- uh, culprit of the crime bill and then try to say that that's a reason not to vote for him, especially when the alternative is Donald Trump. Uh, in particular, let's emphasize that point. The alternative is Donald Trump, because while he plays, uh, David, uh, the card that somehow or other uh, he is more open minded to criminal justice reform uh, because of the uh, First Step Act. Uh, while he plays that card, he is reviving a George Wallace law and order campaign. Uh, in the middle of the pandemic. And I think ultimately uh, that is his strategy to win. And, and it's and it's even more it's even more sinister than that. Number one, the first step act was not written by Trump or anyone in his uh, administration. The first step act was sitting on the shelf and was written by Democrats years before. And the only reason that Donald Trump paid any lip service to it at all is because celebrities like Kim Kardashian were going in and talking to him and they were soliciting him to get some, you know, like the one woman whose uh, sentence got overturned. I can't think of her name right now, who Kim Kardashian went and spoke to Trump about. But if you or I, Ben, had gone in and tried to get a meeting with Trump about the First Step Act, 
do you really believe that we would have been able to convince him to, to, no. uh, to sign the First Step Act? No. That was a complete, he was manipulated because he's a simple dilettante nincompoop. And he was, he was, uh, he was played by, they played on what, what, what works with him. They sent in a famous person that gave him some notoriety, and that's why he signed the First Step Act. It's really as simple as that. Uh, And uh, since you mentioned Kim Kardashian, I'm going to flip flop what I was going to ask you about. I'll hold off on the Trump's racist strategy for a moment. His George Wallace strategy. Uh, He he, he played this card again today, right before uh, you and I started talking with his Cory Booker tweet. And uh, you mentioned Kim Kardashian. Let's go to Kanye West. Kanye West uh, is, well, somebody is trying to get Kanye West's uh, name on the ballot in several states. I don't I don't know how much of a role Kanye West is playing on it, uh, but it's pretty clear to me, David, I said this on the show It's uh, many times, it's pretty obvious by the investigations, by uh, many credible news outlets, that uh, Kanye West's candidacy is largely uh, being propped up by the Republican Party, especially in Wisconsin. Uh, how effective do you think this can be uh, to uh, siphon votes away from Joe Biden. Everything that I've read, uh, everything that I've read, and I've read something as recently as today, said that Kanye West has about two percent support, uh, and that it's that includes the uh, the African Americans that would purport, that would uh, come out and vote for him. But really, that just shows you how really shallow uh, the Trump. It really shows you how shallow the Trump attempt is to try and siphon black votes away from Joe Biden, number one. But then number two, it shows how absolute, I mean, that's their play. Their play was to think if we put yeah. up anyone black, oh, because, you know, that Donald Trump, he just picked from the list of black people who he knows, and he knows Kanye West, and oh, Kanye West, West is a famous rapper. If we get him up there, all of the black people will vote for him because he's a famous rapper. Let me go on record as one of the few African-Americans from Chicago by saying, I do not, nor have I ever been a fan of Kanye West, either his music or anything that he espouses intellectually. And I put intellectually in air quotes because he is, he is again, devoid of intellectualism. All right. Uh, Yeah, I'm with you uh, about the Kanye West uh, strategy. It is, (laughs) if he's at 2% now, you can cut it in half. Okay, and I'm not even sure what portion of that vote would be uh, a Democrats, black or otherwise. You would be surprised how many. I mean, I've seen plenty of African-Americans who have said when he first plenty of African-Americans on social media say this or something akin to this. Well, we gave Donald Trump a chance, and so Kanye can't do any worse. Or, you know, uh, what's what's wrong with us voting for, you know, a black person if a black person is running? But then those same people are doing a 180 now that it's Kamala Harris in the VP slot. So, you know, the the only person who is going to vote, number one, the people who like Kanye don't vote. And the people who vote don't like Kanye. So that was never going to be a good strategy either way. Uh, That is... You know what? I had to think about what you just said. I think you're really on to something. (laughs) (laughs) But that was my argument for what it's worth uh, about black voters who said they were going to vote for Donald Trump back in 2016. This is I've I've always point this out. People trot out uh, a poll or uh, even an exit poll that says X amount of people of 
have voted for Donald Trump. I'm like, well, when I look, compare that with the actual votes that have come out of precincts, like votes cast, it the, the number falls. And so I think what you're getting at is something really, uh, really true, uh, David, and that is uh, people say one thing and then they don't do it. In other words, they don't vote. You follow what I'm saying? So some guy who says he's going to vote for Kanye West is probably not going to vote at all. Exactly. Exactly. A person who a person who is savvy enough to show up to vote and then get up to the machine and then write in the name of Kanye West because they know they can do that and they know how to do that. That's not the typical demographic who's going to a Kanye West concert and or sitting at home listening to his music. There's no intersectionality between the African-American who's going to vote no matter what and someone who's a Kanye fan. All right. Now, let's get into uh, uh, strategy number one for the Trump reelection campaign. I talked to uh, Tiba Buchanan and I, when he was on the show last week, talked a lot about this uh, sort of undermining the post office uh, in order to undercut vote by mail. Uh, that seems to be a strategy by the Trump campaign. And as I told Atiba, David, uh, it's perplexing because Donald Trump is going to need vote by mail as much as Joe Biden is going to need it because people are going to be afraid uh, to vote in the pandemic. What's your sense of what Trump's up to with this vote by mails? All the data that I've seen says that Republicans are by 60 to 65 percent more inclined to vote in person and about 60 to 65 percent of Democrats are inclined to vote by mail. So that's the data that's driving uh, his decision to try and to try and, and, and incapacitate the post office. I just have one thing to say to, you know, every every African-American out there under the sound of my voice, unless you're going to get an absentee vote, unless you're going to get an absentee vote and you can get an absentee vote, you can you can send in that application now. Uh, You know, it it will vary by state when they'll send it to you in the mail. But the earlier you send that vote, the the, you know, he's only going to be able to doing if he's able to implement everything that he wants to implement uh, using his strategies to handicap the post office. He's only going to be able to impact one to two percent of the votes that come in by mail because it's decentralized. That's one of the things that makes our votes so difficult to to uh, orchestrate and or to 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 destroy the integrity of because it's decentralized and it's and it's uh, managed at the county level. I've been an election judge before. I've worked in election before. It's very difficult. It would be it would be almost impossible for one person to impact uh, you know what's going on because of the way that we manage our votes by county and by state. So that said, do what you, do what you have to do and get out there and vote. It, it's that it's that serious. We, we, we cannot afford another four years of Donald Trump. Another four years of Donald Trump could very well destroy uh, this, just destroy this country. So do what you have to do. It, it, it's worth it to chance standing in line and contracting COVID if it's going to get Donald Trump out of office. How do you plan to vote in line? Do you plan to go to the polling booth or do you plan to vote by mail? I looked into it in the last uh, 48 to 72 hours. I'm in my I'm going to order. I'm probably just going to show up early in, in Illinois. You can vote as early as October 19th. So I'm probably just going to show up on October 19th at 6 a.m. and just vote in person. Yeah. 
I think I'll be there right with you. I'll be right. I'll be the guy right next to you, Dave. We'll go have breakfast afterwards. Uh, I'm voting as soon as I can and voting for Joe Biden. I put it out there. Exactly. All right. This is no joke. What you said was so true. Uh, it's an existential threat. And I've been hi- harping on this all day today. Law, I mean, I got so sidetracked by the looting that went down uh, on Monday morning and the political fallout here in Chicago, David. Uh, and I didn't even get a chance to really take that deep dive onto Donald Trump's insane executive orders that he uh, issued from in his speech at his country club in, in New Jersey or wherever that was. The man has freaking lost his mind. He's proposing a plan, a payroll tax deferral in I have the whole thing in quotes, such a scam that will end up potentially bankrupting Social Security. I mean, but you know what the sad part is? What's far sadder Mm -hmm. is that the average person, all they hear is tax cut. Oh, I get to keep 7% more in my check, 7.65% to be exact, because it's seven, it's a six some percent, and then it's another 1.45 cent for Medicare. So it adds up to like, I think 7.65% exactly. But as you said, it's a deferral. So you've got to pay it back. That's why when Trump said, hey, if I get reelected, I'm going to make it permanent. He, he does these sleights of hand because he knows the average American out there is stupid and they don't know what's going on. They don't understand that when he says, oh, I'll make it permanent if you reelect me, that the first thing they should say is, oh, that means it's temporary then. And then he says, well, if you make me if I if you reelect me, you won't have to pay it back. The, the second bell should go off and say, oh, not only is it temporary, but I've got to pay it back. No, that's a bad idea. But but he plays on the ignorance of the average American. I hate I mean, I, and I hate to say it like that. I've tried to find a more politic way of saying it. But we just have to just come out and just say it. Most of the, most Americans are dumb. They're uninformed, misinformed, underinformed. And that's how Donald Trump became president. And do you see uh, the reaction of the country uh, to COVID as evidence of, of course, of course, we are living, we are living the the people the the flu pandemic of 1918. If you go back and you look at those pictures, people were wearing masks. There was no there was no debate about whether or not you should wear a mask and whether or not that's a good or a bad thing. We're talking about we're talking about the same period of time where we eradicated polio globally. Why? Because people got vaccinations. We are living in we're supposedly living in the most technologically advanced time in the history of our species. And we're arguing about whether or not airborne pathogens should can be blocked by wearing a mask and whether or not you should or should not take vaccinations. I mean, yes, there's an anti-intellectualism that has swept the right. And that's why whatever happens to the Republican Party, Republican Party be damned as far as I'm concerned. They can go the way of the dodo. They can they they can reinvent themselves or do whatever they have to do. But those of us who who know better, those of us who know better have a responsibility to do whatever it is that we have to do to keep the anti-intellectualism, religious, fundamentalist, right-wing Republicans from taking control of power ever again in this country. Well put. And I got to tell you, it was on full display in an article I read, uh, David, that I didn't even mention to you in our pre-show. Uh, in the, It was in the, I forget which newspaper, about a, um, a school district in Georgia 
suburban Georgia, All where they like opened 400 people. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. saw that. And then exactly. there's still a contingent of leaders, uh, parents and officials in that school district who are arguing that it's unnecessary to wear a mask or that masks cause uh, the virus in the first place and uh, that they should continue the policies <laughs> that got them in trouble. It, it, it reminds me of the response that Republicans had when Herman Cain died uh, of the virus. They're just determined not to learn any lessons from it. They're determined uh, to just pursue the same what you call anti-intellectual, anti-science policies that got to this trouble in the first place. Uh, but the the dirty little secret that no one will say, and it's the only, and it's the one thing that connects all these dots. The the underlying sickness that is that drives this type of behavior is religion, and when and and it's fundamentalist religion. When you have you have people, I uh, I, I was watching a YouTube video. Uh, this was going back maybe three months. And CNN was at this church and they were having this big church service and they were interviewing this woman who was coming out of the church. And the and the, per, the, the person from CNN was saying, hey, aren't you concerned about contracting this virus? And the woman said, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, so nothing mm-hmm. can happen to me. When you when you have people out there who are taking the Bible literally. When they, when they are when they are reading a document that is two to five thousand years old, and they are trying to apply. If you read a if you read a book if you read a book that was thirty years old, there'd be some stuff that was lost in translation. If you and I jumped into a time machine and we went back and talked to ourselves in high school when we were writing a paper, and we said, "Hey, why are you going to the library? Why don't you just Google it?" Our high school selves, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, wouldn't know what it, what we mean. But we're taking a document that was that was written thousands of years ago, halfway around the globe, but from a different culture. There was a nomadic pre-industrial civilization, and we're trying to apply it to today. When we know better today, we know that there are airborne viruses and pathogens, and we know how sickness works. And you got people saying, ah, the blood of Jesus, that that's dangerous. Religion is and, it, and, and it, there's no there's no surprise that there's a heavy intersectionality with how far right you are as a conservative and how religious you are, which, by the way, also is the foundation of Donald Trump being this patriarchal grandfather like figure and how they give him all deference in the face of his prevarications and and his ineptitude. So it's, it's all tied together. Wow. Uh, David, you've been a you and I have known each other for over a year now. You've been in a, a very gracious guest on my show many, many times. I can't even count them all. I've never heard you on the subject of religion before. I don't know if the subject just never came up. All the time we talk off uh, the air, it never came up. You sound like Bill Maher. <laughs> well, what I what I will say is, uh, from a religious point of view, I'm a recovering Christian. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, let me just take the moment to uh, say that the views and opinions of David Seaton are do not necessarily reflect. I, I, can't, I hope you raise this uh, with a team or your show the next time. It'll be interesting to see. Um, we've, had some, we've had some very specific uh, uh, show. I wrote I wrote something very recently and we had a an interesting professor on uh, Edward Plum. 
uh, Edward Blum, I'm sorry, and we were talking about the danger of a white Jesus. And we were talking about historically how it's inaccurate and how it how it is fertile, how it's been the fertile soil for the seeds of racism and and especially in the Americas. Uh, You know, so, again, I, I, you know, just just for the for the sake of argument, just so for those of you who are listening, I'm not necessarily saying that I don't believe in God. I'm saying that I will have nothing to do with religion, organized religion. Right. Yeah. Uh, All right. And uh, well, we could do a whole show on that. Uh, Cause that is, uh, I would love to go there, but I want to stay focused uh, and get back to uh, our list of things uh, that I wanted to talk to you about. And now we're coming to uh, the big daddy of it all. Donald Trump's reelection strategy uh, is essentially rests on his ability to produce so much racial hostility, fear on the part of white people toward black people uh, that he gets a George Wallace style reactionary vote uh, from swing voters, if you will, that add to his base and give him enough votes to win. Not a majority. He knows he'll never win a majority. But in this crazy electoral college system that the Democrats are too foolish to fight and have accepted a victory. How realistic is that uh, as a concern to you, David? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to say something that is going to come as a surprise to a lot of your listeners. Donald Trump and his racial George Wallace-like strategy to create animus between black and white people is nothing compared to Ariel Atkins of Black Lives Matter and the, and the fodder that she has offered to that strain of, of individuals and, and, and exacerbating the already, the, already uh, the, the tensions that already exist between black and white people in this country. When, when Ariel Atkins came out uh, earlier this week and she said on the record about the looters that went into downtown Chicago and she went on record and said, let not only don't arrest those people who are looting, but let them go and don't arrest anybody else because those people who are stealing from those stores, that's reparations and those stores are insured. If you go and you look there's there's probably a dozen different articles. All you have to do is scroll down to the comments and read the vitriol that is coming from the average white reader who's reading that, that it's going to be that that's going to, that's going to bust this thing wide open. And, and black, and at this point, black lives matter. If the majority of black lives matter members do not draw a distinction between themselves and the Ariel Atkins of black lives matter, black lives matter is going to lose all credibility. And that will be the reason why Donald Trump gets reelected. Wow. All right. Uh, Let's break that down. What, what then? What are Democrats? How are Democrats, in your humble opinion, supposed to respond uh, to that kind of rhetoric? I think again, going back to Kamala Harris, that's what makes Kamala Harris the perfect VP candidate because a lot of black people were attacking her. I read stuff that was saying uh, that today where people were saying that Joe Biden wrote the crime bill and Kamala Harris enforced it. So the record that she has as AG of California 
will will not allow uh, Trump and his acolytes to to tie Black Lives Matter around Kamala Harris's neck because her her record uh, as an AG is completely antithetical to Black Lives Matter. Now and again, speaking as a black man, I am completely in support of Black Lives Matter. I am completely not in support of excusing criminal behavior and using that as de facto uh, reparations. That's completely asinine. Like, like I've said to you before, and I, and I say this all the time on our show, you know, black people represent 14% of this population. The only way we're going to get our priorities enacted into legislation and enforced is going to be creating coalitions with other like-minded individuals. That's how that's how a slavery, the, the abolition of slavery didn't happen because just black people were anti were uh, anti-slavery. It happened because we had coalitions with the majority who also wanted to abolish slavery. Same thing for civil rights. Same thing for the uh, you know getting rid of Jim Crow. That we're we're a minority, so we have to we have to have alliances with other people so that we can get to fifty. 50 percent plus one, because that's how a democracy works. And 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 stances like this that uh, Ariel Atkins of Black Lives Matter took is is inexcusable. Well, you're uh, you're going to get a moment. I know this knowing politics the way I do. Uh, we're definitely Kamala Harris, maybe uh, and, and maybe even Joe Biden uh, will be asked point blank to respond to that uh, comment. And then people will be, you know, reading uh, the, her response to see, you know, how strong a stance she took and whether she was how she nuanced it or how she set it up. Uh, they'll be studying it. You know what I'm saying? To see. Yeah, they're going to parse it. They're going to yeah, parse, parse it. it. But, they, but they have to be. And, and this is where Democrats typically and, and you and I and Atiba have talked about this before, too. Democrats typically have very poor messaging. This is someplace else where Kamala Harris is going to be able to shine. All she has to all the Democrats have to say is we support Black Lives Matter, but we do not support looting and robbing stores. If you break the law, you should go to jail. That said, we support Black Lives Matter and we support their agenda of trying to forward the black agenda. If someone comes to me and says, do you like anything about Donald Trump? I will say I really appreciate the fact that he signed the First Step Act. Other than that, I, there's nothing else about Donald Trump that I can support. So you can be intellectually honest and point out where someone has done something good with whom you disagree, and you can point out something bad with whom you agree, and that doesn't make you intellectually dishonest. All right. Um, now, when you, when you said that, my, immediately my mind started scrambling. What could I say that I like that Donald Trump has done uh, in the last three years? When you said that, and I would say, yeah, the First Step Act, uh, well, he hasn't invaded any countries, has he? That I know of. <laughs> uh, so I'm literally, I'm really bending over backwards, David, to uh, uh, say something nice about him. I'm really curious how your show is going to go Friday. I know you and Atiba are going to talk about uh, that Black Lives Matter uh, comment, and um, and really I already know what I already know what he's going to say. Uh, and and you know he'll make he'll he'll make his point and I'll make mine and we'll let the we'll let the listeners decide as always. Yeah, uh, what's he gonna say? Oh, he's gonna say that that it is reparations and that if it weren't for 
lack of opportunity, if people had jobs and if people had opportunity and if they had the things that they need, they wouldn't have to steal. And the reason why all of those conditions of black people are being perpetuated is because of white supremacy and racism. Well, I, I, I mean, I think that's there's a lot of validity to what he's saying. And Absolutely. I know one of the things we're, one day we'll have a discussion about uh, economic development in Chicago and the TIF program, et cetera. Uh, we're not going to do that now because I have an agenda. Uh, this, is what I, this is what I'll say in response to that. Yeah. If those people, uh, if the people who were looting, yeah. if they were breaking into a jewel mm-hmm. and they were stealing bread and meat and fruit and, and bottled water, if they were breaking into a, if they were going into a local convenience store and they were taking, you know, bags of chips and, and, and jerky because those were the things that they needed because they were hungry and they were trying to do, they were trying to do something that to act to survive. That's a completely different conversation. But when you're talking about people who are getting up from Inglewood, getting in their cars, driving downtown, throwing bricks through the Nike store and through the coach store windows and, and stealing items out of those uh, stores. When you're, talking about, when you're talking about groups, hordes of people who are standing in front of 18-wheeler semis that are driving uh, through the south side of Chicago and they're distracting the driver while another two dozen people are trying to open up the back of the truck and rob it. When you're talking about actions like that, that has nothing to do with reparations. That is just wanton criminality. And we, and black people especially can't advocate for that because it diminishes the importance of when some when racism does happen to us and it's egregious and needs to be addressed. Because if we stand up for these criminal acts, we're not going to have allies when something really is racist and happens. All right, David, see uh very powerfully said. All right, let's move on to Billy C., Bill Clinton, uh, William Jefferson Clinton. We'll close it down with this. And uh, this, I'll, I'll do the setup. I sent you the article, but I'll do the setup for maybe people who are listening have not read the article I wrote for the reader. Uh, I urge everybody to check it out and uh, weigh in. So this, uh, this, 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 this idea been in my mind, you know, for a while, David, but I hadn't really thought it through. And then I was watching uh, John Lewis's funeral and uh, Bill Clinton got up and gave his oration and just something, it just snapped. And I just said to myself, I am sick and tired of Bill Clinton. I'm sick and tired of him getting invited uh to state funerals. I'm sick and tired of him getting invited to significant Democratic events like the convention next week. He'll be a featured speaker. I'm tired of his voice. I feel that he's doing a disservice to the party I've always supported, to the ideas that I hope are fostered, uh, to to the effort to uh, defeat Donald Trump. And uh, so I put my thoughts down on paper and essentially, the, the theme could be summed up with one sentence. Cut the cord, Dems, and uh, treat Bill Clinton like a pariah, because that's what he deserves to, uh, to be treated as. And uh, we got a lot of reaction from a lot of people. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are on this. I will say two different things, three, th- three different things. Number one. Donald, and I read your article, so it was, it was brilliantly uh, written, by the way. Here's the one thing that here's the one thing that 
Republicans could never wrap their minds around uh, as far as how Bill Clinton has retained his popularity over the years in spite of uh, in spite of his um, alter- in spite of his uh, adultery mm-hmm. <laughs> with Monica Lewinsky and with whomever else. Half of the people in this country are either divorced because of infidelity or they're broken up. They broke up with someone because of infidelity or, or what have you. So at the end of the day, most people, most people can understand that how you can err as a human, that you, that you, that you cheated on your wife or you had some indiscretions in your marriage. I think most people can understand that. And because the Republicans were so over the top during the impeachment, that it didn't build any goodwill on his wife at the end of the day. Now, I did read your article about, you know, him taking advantage of his position as president to, to have to get involved with Monica Lewinsky. And she was a young girl that to me, that's kind of that's kind of not the point, uh, simply because most relationships, you know, what, you know, most people, two people who two people seldom ever meet in life at parody. You know, like either 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 you got a either you got a fat bald guy who's got a lot of money who meets a young pretty girl and she's looking for stability and he's looking for arm candy, or it could be the reverse. It could be an older woman who sees a young guy who's attractive and she's got money. I mean, the 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 saying that saying that someone's going to meet at that two people are going to meet and they're going to be completely one hundred percent at parity is quixotic and it it you know it, then you can evaluate any relationship and say well. He made more money or she was more powerful or he had a nicer car. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, proximity is what determines who you get with. And, it, and that's the bottom line. Proximity is the biggest variable uh, or determining variable on who you who you wind up getting involved with romantically. Uh, third, I'll say, as far as the Democratic Party and their embrace of Donald Trump. Bill Clinton. Uh, Bill Clinton. Yeah. That's how parties operate. I mean, let's be honest. George W. Bush is still hanging around, and he's a war criminal. They they still they it, until Donald Trump came around, you know they they said Ronald Reagan's name more than they said more than they say the name of Jesus Christ. So you know Don uh, you know the fact that uh, Bill Clinton is still you know he's kind of the patriarch of the Democratic Party, save Jimmy Carter, but Jimmy Carter is out there you know building houses for habitat or you know habitat for humanity and trying to you know uh, you know so he's not necessarily as involved but you know that's the way the parties are you know donald i mean uh bill clinton did he have some indiscretions yes discretions yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right look i have to say this number uh Wow, that that was quite a ref. I gotta give you credit, man. That was like that was a ref. All right, uh, and it's like I'm trying to break it down point by point. Number one, uh, George Bush was not invited back for the uh, Republican convention, and more to the point, Richard Milhouse Nixon was never invited back uh, after the disgrace of a Watergate. Uh, he was never invited back. So even the Republicans, uh, they will only go so far. And I say that even the Republicans, because I would say as uh as upset I am with the Dems welcoming Clinton, I think it's far more egregious that the Republicans have embraced Donald Trump and made him their leader. So I do, I, I, I am able to make I mean, distinctions here. Okay, we are yeah. talking about a president who paid off a porn star and got her pregnant 
or, or had sex with her while his wife was pregnant with his now 13 year old son. Yes, I'm well aware. I'm well aware. And and very important. I hope you make, I just got to say this, very important is uh, right now fighting off a lawsuit dealing with allegations of rape. Exactly. E. Jean Carroll's lawsuit uh, was been allowed to continue. She's collecting evidence right now. Uh, It's a very Clintonian. Yes, there's a DNA issue. Very Clintonian. I, I think it's on a coat and as opposed to a dress. So uh, Republicans out there who talk about law and order, the uh, head of your party who talks about law and order is an accused rapist. So just exactly. think about that, Republicans, for a moment. So, yes, I'm well aware of utter hypocrisy on the part of the Republican so are, so I guess at the end of the day, if we're comparing Donald Trump who possibly raped a woman and and was having unprotected sex with a porn star while his wife was pregnant. And we're talking about George W. Bush, who is by all accounts a war criminal. And if he goes anywhere, if he travels anywhere in Europe, Interpol is probably going to pick him up for an outstanding warrant to take him to The Hague. And we compare that to William Jefferson Clinton uh, receiving fellatio from a then intern. We just have to just put things into their proper perspective and realize that there's nuance. And that's why in the law there's first degree murder and there's involuntary manslaughter and a bunch of stuff in between. We don't just look at the effect and just give everybody the same sentence. Was Bill Clinton wrong? Did he cheat on his wife? He was, yeah, he was immoral, but what he did there was no law against and it didn't break his oath as president of the United States. What, what Trump and, and George W. Bush did were in, have they have committed crimes that were in contravention of the oath that they took as president of the United I, States. I, I, you, you, by the way, can I just say something about David Seaton? A master rhetorician. I, he brilliantly. I got to give the guy credit. I mean, he, you get it. You, he's throwing out these points he knows I'm going to agree with. So I go, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And he's just got that big David Seaton smile on his face. I know why, well, half the time a team wants to take a notebook and hit him over the head. Uh, but you're absolutely correct. Everything you just said, David Seaton, is absolutely correct. And I'll just say this. Billy Clinton dragged us through hell with uh, Monica Lewinsky. And everything you said on a far less sophisticated level, I was saying back in 1988, uh, 99, defending uh, Bill Clinton. I didn't say it nearly as well as you just did, but uh, I said the same things. So many Democrats gave so much passion and energy to defending Clinton and they did so, and within four years, he's flying around on a jet with Jeffrey Epstein. The man has no credibility. It's like he learns nothing. It's like he's determined to go through life making the same old stupid decisions that he's always made because he thinks he's better than anybody else or bigger than anybody else. And so that's why I'm saying, Democrats, cut the corn. This man is now linked to Jeffrey Epstein, one of the most notorious sex traffickers of our time. And it's an embarrassment and a disgrace that a former president would be flying. And now and then he then he and then it's all those Clintonian and David Seaton, you recognize them as well as I do. Those Clintonian like evasions, like, ugh. you know, he's the master of it. I gotta give him credit. You know, he'll he'll say, he'll deny it without really denying it. You think he denied it, you know? So like he uh, I've never had sex with that woman. And and like, well, then it depends like 
what does he mean by sex? You know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> and Billy Cease, like Willie. Hey, so divorce with him right all now. I'm is, all I'm saying is, is that if every man, if every person got, got lost their job because they received oral sex from someone, we'd have, we'd have unemployment in, uh, you know, in, in far greater than what we had during the depression and, or, or right now. We, we've got bigger fish to fry. We got, we got bigger things going on than to be overly concerned about the indiscretions of a, of a guy who was president three presidents ago and whether or not he speaks at a funeral. We got bigger, we got bigger things to deal with. All right. I'll leave it out. I'll, I'll be the gracious guy and let you have the last word. All right. <laughs> one more time, David Seaton, uh, tell everybody uh, where they can hear you in Atiba. And it's a great show. I've been on the show and I've listened to the show. They just had Tommy Tresser on a couple of weeks ago talking tips. So tell everybody uh, where they can hear you. WVON sixteen ninety AM. You can listen on iHeartRadio. Uh, you can just go to WVON.com or you can go to your car if you got an old school AM radio, go to sixteen ninety AM. It's on Friday nights from nine PM to midnight every Friday with Atiba Buchanan and David Seaton. And don't forget, go to Seatonspeaks.com. That's S as in Sam, E-A-T as in Tom, O-N as in Nancy, speaks with an S dot com for anything that you want to discuss uh, political. I've probably got a blog about it, so uh, don't hesitate to go to the blog and get your brain. We're elevating the conversation at Seatonspeaks.com. Absolutely. David Seaton, I'll have you on in about three weeks. I got to do be better about getting Seaton and Buchanan on uh, more frequently because uh, these two gentlemen really know their politics. Thank you very much, David. I appreciate Thank you coming you on the show. No problem. That's David Seaton. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.